West Bulls, good morning. Hey, do you remember the table that you sat at for lunch growing up? Some of you may remember that. Some of you are there right now. Um, well, I, I started thinking about the tables that I sat at as I grew up in elementary school, and in junior high, and in high school, and even now at home, um, at work, wherever I'm at. And there's something about the table we sit at that says something about us. You might look like them, the others who sit at the table. You might think like them. You may have common interests. In case you're wondering, I always sat at the table with the basketball team when I was growing up, so just kidding. They did not want me there. And in fact, most of you probably remember the tables you wish you could have sat at. And, and so I always looked at the basketball team, and as they told me, you know, shoo, get away. We don't want you here. I just thought, that's fine, because this little, this little trend you call basketball, I'll be laughing when that's all done, and I'm still waiting for that to be done. So uh, anyhow, it's interesting. As we go through life, we just have different tables that we sit with people at, and we have a lot of similarity when we look around those tables, but that puts us in an interesting position when we feel like we don't belong. I was reminded of this uh, as last year, um, True, our, our middle child, she, you can go eat lunch with your kid at the elementary school. So I decided one day to go surprise her. So I walked into the elementary school, signed in, got to the cafeteria, and they were all sitting there, and she was sitting with her friends at this table, and I just sat down next to her. And she was like, I, I was waiting for a hug, a kiss, and I love you, and here's what I got. Dad, what are you doing? It's like you're in first grade. I thought this was still the age of, I love you, thank you so much for coming. And I said, I came to sit with you and have lunch with you. And she said, well, my friends and I have to talk about that. And so, um, she, said, she, no joke, pointed at the wall and she said, you can go stand over there. And I looked over and there was another dad who was standing against the wall just like. <laughs> so, I go sit with this dad, we're talking a little bit, after, I don't know, 30, 45 seconds, she's like, Dad, we decided you can sit with us today. <laughs> so, and I just thought, oh man, it's just in us from such a young age. It is in us and as we grow, which presents an interesting challenge for us. Because as we go through life and we're used to all these different tables that we sit at and we have something in common with people at, you know what happens? You know what God did with the church? He made the centerpiece piece of furniture in the church. You know, what he, you know what he made it? A table. That is, if we could clear all these chairs out and said, God, what kind of furniture would you want in here? You know what I see throughout scripture? He would say, I want a table. I want a table that all of you are going to eat at. Well, that presents a challenge, doesn't it? Because as I think, if, if you're new here, if it's your first time, a few weeks ago, we started going through this series called We Are West Bowls. And we're just talking about what is our identity as a church. And we started looking at this mission, a new direction for this church. And it's simply this, that this be a place where you can connect with Jesus, connect with people, and connect people with Jesus. In the last couple of weeks, we've really looked at that connect with Jesus piece. We've talked about the authority of Jesus, protecting our attachment to Jesus and staying near to him. But today, as we talk about the church and we talk about being with people, we've got to look at that connect with people piece. 
and the way God set up the church. We'll look at it today in Acts chapter 2. From day one, you know what he did? He said, you're going to have to connect with, with people. And there is a value that I want you to value. And there's a value I want you to engage. It's this value called unity. This togetherness that even though you don't feel like you have anything in common with people sitting at that table, I want you to cultivate and I want you to engage unity. Which to many people would sound like such a high ideal that how do you do it? And yet Acts chapter 2, I believe, is exactly how he desires that we go about it. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Acts chapter 2. If not, it'll be on the screen. But here's what's going on. On day one of the church, you know what God did? He called the crowd together. He called the crowd together. Jesus had ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit descended and it filled people. In fact, it filled people so much that there was this sound that began coming out of people that it filled. And that's where we pick up. We're in Acts chapter two, verse six. And it says this, when they heard this sound, that is the people living in Jerusalem, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Do you ever come to church and feel just a little bit bewildered by what you see? That's what they were going through. And they're really bewildered for a couple different reasons here. We'll see in these next couple of verses. They, were, they came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, we've talked about this before, but this would have been really, really strange because Galileans, those from Galilee, were considered those who didn't know God. And in terms of physical proximity, they weren't really anywhere near what people saw and focused on is the activity of God. They were far from it. And so you have the people who lived in Jerusalem where God's activity was thought to be constricted and and limited to, looking at people who were far, far from there, going, what is that they're saying? Because there was something about what they were saying that made them go, God's using them? And that's, I think, one of the things that bewilders us when we come into the church. Have you shown up and looked across the foyer, looked across the sanctuary, gotten to this class that meets and gone, well, they're here? That person's here? Please don't point at them right now, okay? But you sit there and you think, that person's here? I remember that was exactly what I thought the first time I ever walked through the doors of this church. But we get bewildered for another reason. Verse 8, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? See, we get bewildered because of who's here, but we also get bewildered anytime we see God, because you know he can speak your language, but he can also speak others' languages. That is, he may use and he may relate to somebody in a way that you don't resonate with and that I don't resonate with. This was bewildering for them because they had God in a box. And if we're being completely honest, to some degree, so do we. We think, well, he probably can only use certain people and only speaking a certain language or doing things a certain way. And this is where God just blew the sides off that box. It continues. Look at all the different people that were there. Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia. 
Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Okay, what does that mean to us? Well, I bet, I bet they've got, they've got actually 16 different kinds of people that are referenced in this crowd. If I gave you three minutes to look around this sanctuary, think you'd come up with 16 differences? that you see in people? You say, forget a few minutes. That's like 30 seconds. Because that's what we often see when we walk through the doors of the church. Because that's what God brought together. He brought together all kinds of differences. But it goes on. It's now what they noticed about what they were saying. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. This should be incredibly encouraging because no matter how different you feel, no matter how different you look, no matter where we're coming from or what our background is, you know what God says? He says, I can get glory from your life. I want to get glory from your life. And then they ask the perfect question in verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Well, what does it mean? I think it means that when God draws a crowd to the table, he's not focused on all are different. He's not focused on that. In fact, let's come back to just think about this room. Think about who God brought together in this room right now. There's young. There's old. There, there are liberals. There are conservatives. There are those who during service really, really, really like it bright in here. There are those who during service really, really, really like it dark in here. There are those who like the volume really high. There are those who like the volume really low. There are, there are those that are taller. There are those who are shorter. There are even, can you believe this? There are even those who think that the only way or maybe the best way to worship is with hymns and a choir. And then there are those who think maybe the best way to worship is through contemporary, modern music with a worship team. And then there are those of us that are like me that don't have a musical bone in our bodies, and we're just trying to look left and right and see what we're supposed to be doing. You know, it's like, uh, raise my hand and clap, what do I do right now? And then this is maybe the craziest thing for me. As a Michigan fan, can you believe that God would bring Ohio State fans to the table? No, you don't have to cheer. You guys let me know every single week that you're here. There are Clemson fans. There are Alabama fans. There are CSU fans. There are CU fans. And the craziest thing to me is I like them. I like them. But that's not our normal thinking. It's very easy for us to look around, and if we see differences, then there's a wall. There's a wall that goes up. And so it's actually very fitting and it's perfect what God had happen next in the book of Acts in chapter 2. After all these people that came together from all these different backgrounds, once they were gathered and they were bewildered, you know what God did? He brought the first sermon in the church's history. And he brought it through a man named Peter. And there were those who were standing around that are watching all this, and they thought, well, these guys are just, they're drunk. 
They're drunk. They've had too much wine. And Peter's first, his opening line to the first sermon in history is they're not drunk. They're not drunk. It's actually something else. This was all predicted. Everything you guys are seeing, he says, this, is, this has been, it's been prophesied. People long ago said this day, this moment was coming. And then for all the differences in that crowd, and for all the differences in this crowd, you know what God does? Through the mouth of Peter, he says, in spite of all those differences, there's something you have in common. In verse 22, he says this, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. In other words, you knew he was God because, what, because of what you saw him do while he was here. And there were those in the crowd who had actually witnessed the things that Jesus did, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Wow, first sermon. You killed Jesus, is what Peter said. First sermon. That's courage. <laughs> That's courage. But I think it's what God wanted to communicate, that in spite of all the differences in that crowd, and in spite of all the differences in this crowd, we have something in common that we have to acknowledge. We played a part in putting in there. That means that I have some, some stuff in my life that separates me from God. And that you have things in your life that separate you from God. And Peter, God through Peter said that's what put him on the cross because a sacrifice had to be made. When you fall short of the perfect and holy standards of a perfect and holy God, a price has to be paid and a sacrifice has to be made. And God said, but I will make that sacrifice. Which is why in this exact same verse, there's, an, there's another more powerful thought. You see that word there? Deliberate. In other words, God knew exactly what he was doing when all this happened. God knew ahead of time that this was coming. And what should say even more to us is he chose to go through with it. He said, there is nothing I won't do. There is nothing I won't give to make you right with me. So no matter the differences, that's what you have in common. And then, and then he actually takes it another step further. He says this in verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. In other words, that sin in their lives and in my life and in our lives that separated, that threatened to separate us from God, that put Jesus on the cross, God said, but it doesn't have the final say. Sin would not have the final say. In fact, God said, I, I raised Jesus from the dead because of something. And as Peter goes on throughout that first sermon, he says, he did that so that you and I would receive the Holy Spirit. Because in spite of all the differences, you know what else you have? He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for you and for me. 
and he wants you to receive it. And I remember the first time I ever heard that, the first time that really planted in my heart, I had the exact same response as they did at the end of the sermon in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do you do when you have that realization? Because now all the differences in that crowd were laid aside. And God through Peter is saying, now, now we're going to get to the heart of the matter. Verse 38, Peter replied with this word that's just not very popular these days, or probably any days, repent. Repent. I don't know about you, but I hear that word and I just think of somebody on the, the corner screaming, repent. But it simply means a change, a change of our thinking, a change of our mind, a change of our perspective and a change of our way of being. He says, repent. Repent from your old, of your old ways. Repent and be baptized. That baptism is a public expression that I'm turning from my way to Jesus' way. Peter says, you want to know what you need to do? It's an issue right here. While we look out here and we see all kinds of differences, Peter says, no, no, it starts here. It starts here. I can't point out anything in anyone else's life before I go here. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive something. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, suddenly you will have something in common with everyone else. That you have a purpose that God designed you for. That God gives his spirit for. This promise, verse 39, is for you and your children, and for all who are far off. That's you, and that's me. All who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That means if you're here today, that is not a coincidence. God is calling you. God has called you. And when you look at that similarity, why on earth would we focus on all the differences between one another. See, when God called this crowd together, he said, look, it's, it's not all the same. It's not all the same. That's not what I'm worried about. It's that all have value and that all have purpose. But instead, I think a lot of times what we do to one another, I've just observed it and, and I've been part of it, is we do this thing that um, there, was, there was a book that came out years ago and it was turned into a movie called Fast Food Nation. And they describe in that movie exactly what happens. You ready? You ready? You have in common with you have something in common with something in this movie. He talks about the process that a potato goes through to become French fries and make them all look the same. Just listen to this. The author describes in an interview a production plant that runs 24 hours a day, 310 days a year. Conveyor belts took the wet, clean potatoes into a machine that blasted them with steam for 12 seconds, boiled the water under their skins, and exploded the skins off. Then the potatoes were pumped into a preheat tank and shot through a water gun knife. They emerged as shoestring fries. 
Four video cameras scrutinized them from different angles, looking for flaws. When a French fry with a blemish was detected, an optical sorting machine uh, time sequenced a single burst of compressed air that knocked the bad fry off the production line and onto a separate belt, which carried it to a machine with tiny automated knives that precisely removed the blemish. Then the fry was returned to the main production line. Sprays of hot water blanched the fries, gusts of hot air dried them, and 25,000 pounds of boiling oil fried them to a slight crisp. Air cooled by compressed ammonia gas quickly froze them. A computerized sorter divided them into six-pound batches, and a device that spun like an out-of-control Lazy Susan used centrifugal force to align the French fries so that they all pointed in the same direction. The fries were sealed in brown bags, then the bags were loaded by robots into cardboard boxes, and the boxes were stacked by robots onto wooden pallets. Have you ever felt such compassion for a potato? <laughs> and yet, isn't that what we do? Have you ever felt like you've gone through that process, or that people put you through that process? The goal of the whole process, he goes on to say, is to create millions of fries that look exactly like one another. And you know what God says? I put my son through that process so that you wouldn't have to go through it. Because I have a different purpose for different people. And when we keep that in mind, then, then, you can have different people come to the same table and engage in what happened next. Day one of the church, the beginning of the church. Here's what happened, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship, to the breaking of bread and a prayer. Four activities. Four activities that, honestly, those four activities are what I love so much about West Bowles. Because as I look at those four activities, devotion to the teaching of the Word of God, it's so present. It's so present. You can see it in the, in the classes and in the different ministries that meet together. And my prayer is every Sunday that we would experience that in here. There's fellowship with one another, this is a church that the reason it first drew me was the fellowship with people. To the breaking of bread, referring to communion, and a prayer. That we all would be unified in that, but here's what I think happens. Those four areas that I think God meant <clears throat> for us to have unity within can often become the source, not the source of, but the place in which walls go up. Because you know why? We get focused on the differences with the other people in the room. And I think God is really expressing something through this passage. It's that unity, you want to engage unity? Unity does not happen in uniformity with other people. It happens in community with other people. Unity happens in community with others, not in uniformity with others. In other words, God's intent was not all the same. It was all together. This last week, as the nation reflected on the life of Martin Luther King, Jr., I was talking with our kids about it, and they were asking some questions about Martin Luther King, Jr. 
But it caused me to go read his I Have a Dream speech. And there are parts of that speech that are very, very well known and that are often quoted, but there was one piece that just jumped out to me. And let me just read this to you. He came to a part of that message where he said, I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together. At where? At a table. At the table of brotherhood. You want to know what God intended the, the church to display to the rest of the world? That there is nothing, nothing, not race, not age, not style, not economic status, not anything you can think of that he cannot bring unity within. Because if it all looks the same and everybody's the same, well, then he just doesn't look that powerful, does he? But when we come together, and specifically when I think about us, I mean, we have Sundays where we'll have choir music and we'll have worship team music. And you want to know what they tell you oftentimes is don't try to blend the two. Don't try to blend the two. And I thought, wow, and here you are doing it, God. Here you are doing it. You bring all kinds of differences together to create unity. Not in uniformity with others, in community with others. And when, when we can keep that in mind, and some pretty powerful things happen. And some pretty powerful things did happen in the early church. Verse 43 says this, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. In other words, when you have unity at the forefront of your mind, you're not distracted by differences. And you can actually start to see God doing some things. It goes on. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Wait, wait, I thought they were all from different backgrounds. Everything in common. That is the most important things we could possibly have in common. That becomes our focus. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Needs are actually met when we stop spending our energy worried about the differences with one another. And we're unified. And here's what happens. Everything that happened inside the church, it begins to happen outside the church. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That is outside Sunday in our context. They actually got together and they broke bread in their homes and ate together around a table around a table with glad and sincere hearts. Could I ask you a question? When was the last time, be honest, when was the last time that you had a glad and sincere heart? Because you know what God really, really is concerned about? A heart. And oftentimes, what blocks me from glad and sincere heart or joyful heart, you know what it has to do with a lot of the time? Other people. <laughs> Other people. If they would just see things my way, if they would just do things my way, if they would just somehow be like me, then everything would be fine. And it blocks us from being glad and having sincere hearts. But when, when we can have glad and sincere hearts, we live lives that he describes next. Lives that praise God 
and enjoy the favor of all the people. That is, there's respect. There's respect for the church. When the church can truly live in unity with one another. And as I thought about that this week, I thought, oh my goodness, as I thought about this church, I thought, I I just, I think God is whispering, we're on the cusp of something really, really powerful. Really powerful that he wants to do, but it starts, it starts here when it comes to relating with one another, because how we relate with one another here is how we're going to relate with people outside the walls here. And so maybe for you this morning, it's that, it's that uncomfortable word that Peter threw out. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's that I stop looking at what somebody else needs to change and go, Lord, I need this to change. In, in the coming weeks, you got a card when you came in, and, and I'd ask you to really, really consider this, being part of it. We asked you to fill out your name and email address. There's an app that we're actually going to have that is going to be tied to our church, and uh, this is just, this is what it'll look like on your phone screen. Um, this wasn't even, we didn't even plan this. The name of that app is Connect. It's Connect, um, which I just thought was interesting in light of an, our new direction. But would you fill out your name and email? Because in this way, we can keep you notified of all the things that we are doing together as a body. And the different ministries, the different groups, the different classes you're part of, you'll be able to, to know what it is they're doing to be able to, as it says, meet together in fellowship with one another and live in unity with one another. And then finally, if you didn't notice on the way in, there's a ministry fair going on out in the foyer. Would you consider walking around the tables out there and saying, God, show me. Show me what you want me to be part of. We're not a perfect church. We don't, we don't have every single thing for every single possible difference. And I don't think God intended it that way. And the result of all that could just be the rest of verse 47 when it says this, <clears throat> And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the Lord added to their number who wouldn't want to be part of a community that lives in unity? Because as we learn here, unity happens in community with others, not in uniformity with others. One story and I'm done. Uh, maybe the loudest laugh I have heard here in a long time came from Hal Kraus, who's part of the congregation here, when he took this picture. That is, uh, that's Keegan. I appreciate the laughter. All right. Um, that's Keegan up there. And if you haven't met Keegan, Keegan was part of the youth group here at the church, and you will probably see him a lot of different Sundays. He's not here today. But uh, Keegan plays on the offensive line for the Wyoming football team. He starts for them. And Keegan and I are about the same size. Um, he's, well, maybe that's relative. If we, put, if we put Keegan and I next to an airplane, then we're relatively that, nope, that actually, Keegan still looks the size of the plane. Here, let's, let's look at one more. There we go. All right. So we are relatively the same size. Keegan is six feet, six inches, 310 pounds. I am a whopping five foot four inches, 155 pounds, all right? I'm literally half his weight. But 
Part of why I love this picture so much is because Keegan and I, from time to time, get to go grab breakfast and sit down at a table. And I love every single time what happens when we get to the register or the server comes up, because here's what they do. And you can hear them thinking, and it's even been said a couple times. You guys are here together? You guys came together? There's only one place that that happens. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. See, some people would point at Acts chapter 2, or this kind of dynamic, and they would say that's an ideal. That's, that's a lofty ideal that can't be reached. And yet... I would say they may not have been to West Bowles. I think if they came here, if they came here and they saw what God wants to do, I think they'd change their mind. Let me pray as the worship team comes up. Heavenly Father, over and over and over and over, you continue to just blow the sides and the top and the bottom of, off of the boxes that we put you in. And so, as we look at Acts chapter 2, as we consider it, as we think about it, Thank you for that reminder that you brought all kinds of different people together at the table, not for the sake of uniformity, but for community. Because what you're truly, truly after is unity. And so I ask that this week, search our hearts, look through every single heart in this place, and help us weigh and help us measure where we may need to consider a change of heart that instead of focusing on the differences we see in other people, we can see the value and the purpose that you have for each and every single one of us. That's the kind of unity that you use to advance and grow your church. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.